Yeah, mama told me a long time ago, you ain't gonna wash, put something on. Make yourself, make yourself smell good. And uh, really, it ain't bad. I mean, y'all need a whiff when I was sitting next to my brother. I leaned over and put my head on his shoulder and said, y'all saw the movie, so you won't have to, I won't tell, but you wanna kiss me, you wanna hug me. Anyway. Oh, Kenny, we laugh about some of the Kenny stuff, but Kenny, and I, this will be the last one about Kenny. Kenny will get you in trouble because <laughs> sometimes he kicks stuff into motion and you don't, you know, you may not be on the same wavelength, but you're left with it <laughs> to handle it. So I can't remember all of the chorus, but there's this little chorus that would go, ho, 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 Hosanna. He, 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 what? How's that go? Ho, 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 Zanna, he, he, he can save you. Something like that. So anyway, we're at this very sophisticated adult CFO at a little place called Capon Springs where everybody has a touch of class or either believes they do. <laughs> and most all of them are elderly. So he's at the keyboard doing his thing. Ho, 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 Santa, he, he, he can save you. And he looks at me and he says, Hobbs, come up here and do something with the hose. <laughs> I said, maybe we should start this over, Kenny. And everybody in the house lost it. And, and said, Kenny, he don't know the difference. He's just gone. But, but I had to clean up. I said, Kenny, I'm looking for them, but I don't see none. <laughs> I don't see none in the house, brother. It was bad. <laughs> it's just the truth, brother. It's just the truth. You guys are awesome. It was such a joy to be here with you guys last night. And uh, my wife did get a chance to check out something. I, I didn't realize that they were streaming or living or whatever it is you do when you put it out for public consumption. Uh, but uh, she said she thought I did good. She said, you behaved yourself. <laughs> you really did. You didn't tell anything off color. She's at home now saying, mm, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> but uh, it was good. It was good. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed being together with people who have a hunger for God. It's just really neat. And when you do what I do, you end up in a lot of places where you're not sure what they're hungry for. Uh, but sometimes you're quite sure it ain't God. But uh, it's neat to be at a place where there's a hunger. And so thank you uh, for letting me be a part of this. And uh, and just rejoicing with you guys over this weekend. Last night, we uh, had a chance to talk a little bit about values. And I just shared three core values that are core values that are important to me. Uh, I think there are also values that are important to the body of Christ. And one of the reasons that I feel like we need to get in touch with our core values is that if we're going to be a people who are a people of great vision, we have to be a people with core values that we're in touch with because our vision comes out of our core values. Let me try to explain that just a tad. God is love. Love needs two things. 
Love needs a recipient that love can pour itself into. Love needs a responder so that that love can be received back. So out of that love need, and if you will, out of that love value that is God, God had a vision. Uh, and that vision was for a family. And because of that, you and I are here. Uh, I was at uh, Ridgecrest uh, having uh, an opportunity to participate in a women's conference. It <laughs> was kind of exciting. And uh, <laughs> there were about 2,500 women that were a part of this women's conference, and me and two other guys sitting on the front row. Now, I don't know, you know, if you can picture that, but if you're sitting in front of 2,500 charismatic women that are subject to go nuts any moment, <laughs> and you're just two guys in the house, it can be really kind of nerve-wracking. Well, I was there because a lady named Fuchsia Pickett was speaking. And uh, me too. I, I, was, I was sort of force-fed into loving Fuchsia Pickett because when I was struggling trying to figure out what it was to be a man, to be a husband, and to be a father when I was struggling with all that, uh, am I the only person here who's had a struggle with that kind of stuff? I mean... And you guys, come on. And you guys, no, don't, right, yes, you freak. Come here, you don't want to raise your hands. <laughs> now, it's nothing wrong with a struggle. The issue is how we do it and, and how we work through it. But I was struggling with it. So my wife, this is back when they had the cassette tapes and everybody's handing them out. My wife started dropping these fuchsia picket tapes around the house. And I ain't really bright. But if your wife keeps putting the same kind of tapes in front of you, after a while you've got to figure she's trying to say something to you. So I started listening to these tapes, and I fell in love with this woman. She was absolutely awesome. So I'd never heard her or seen her in person. So when CBU was sponsoring this women's conference and Fuchsia was going to be one of the speakers, I'm going to the conference. So I'm sitting up there on the front row. And I can't wait to see this lady because she has impacted my life. And so I'm sitting there, and there was a large platform or stage up front, and she's coming in from the side of the thing. And I, I don't know what to expect. I just, you know, I've been seeing the tapes and listening. But I see this woman sort of come out on the platform. She's doing this. And I thought to myself, my God, she's going to die. <laughs> you know, before she gets to the platform... She's going to die. And so she finally gets up there, and she looks around like this, and then she went like this, like a VCR on pause. And I said to myself, she really is going to die. She is one old woman. So anyway, she starts to talk, and the way she started her talk was she comes off a of pause. And she spins around and jumps back up at the platform, talked for an hour and a half, did not breathe. <laughs> talked for an hour and a half. You've got to be dead to talk for an hour and a half and not breathe. She was <laughs> dead. But what she said absolutely just rang my bell, revolutionized my, revolutionized my life. It was an awesome thing. And, and this is what she said. A little bit of what I just spoke a minute ago. She said, God had a dream, and his dream was for a family. So he wanted to put his dream into motion. So they had this entheistic covenant 
sophisticated word for Father, Son, and Holy Ghost got together. And they talked over the Father's dream. And the son said, well, Daddy, listen, you know, when you get that crowd down there and what you do with them, they ain't going to be real bright. And unless you make this deal really plain to them, they're not going to get it. So what I'll do is I'm your son and I am the express image of you. I have your nature. I'll go down there, walk around with them a little bit. And they'll get to know me and know me and they know you because my nature is your nature. And they'll learn to love you like I love you. And the father said, son, they'll kill you when you get down there. And the Holy Ghost said, don't sweat it. I'll raise you up. <laughs> she said, so, so he was born in a manger. The express image of the father, the son coming into this realm to die for people like you and me to be raised again, coming back for us so we can spend all eternity with our father. But from that day until now, that's what this deal's been about. It's been about family. It's been about the father's family. It's about us learning how to be sons and daughters. And we're blessed enough in our journey that we have people that the Father uses, that he places into our lives, that witness to us about the love of a Father. And the Holy Spirit draws us into that relationship. And if you will, we learn how to be sons and daughters of the Most High God. We learn how to be family. But now the Father doesn't want us just to sort of slop our way back to the house. The Father wants us on the way back to the house to be people of great dreams and great visions. When we find on that day of Pentecost, Peter talking about the prophet Joel and that word of God that came that said, in the latter days, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. And in those days, your sons and daughters are going to prophesy. Your young men are going to see visions and your old men are going to dream dreams. But we know we are in that latter day. The Holy Spirit has been poured out and has, as you believe on Christ Jesus, taken up residence within you and within me. So we've been born from above. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we are to be about our Father's business. And the Spirit of the living God on the inside of us is calling us, urging us, and equipping us to be a people of great dreams and visions all the way back to the house. But if we don't have the right values, we don't end up with the right visions. But see, our vision doesn't come from the Dow Jones average, the prime interest rate, or the newspaper, or the latest CNN broadcast, if you listen to that. Our vision has to come from Him. The only source we have for vision, for the kingdom as children of God, has to come by pressing in to our relationship with our Father and the Holy Spirit speaking that to us. Does that make sense to you? That we each, all the way back to the house, I don't care what your background is, I don't care who your mom and daddy were or were not, I don't care what the world has done to you. As a child of the Most High God, you are to be a person of great dreams and great visions all the way back to the house. Now, vision is an interesting thing. Uh, 
Biblically, I think, as you look at the word to see or the word see, fundamentally it relates to laying hold of, apprehending something, taking unto yourself something that is real. For example, when Zacchaeus went up the tree for to see Jesus, he wasn't talking about just catching a glimpse. He was looking for an encounter with Jesus. His objective was to see, to lay hold of, to take unto himself the reality of who Jesus was. And because of that vision that he had in that moment from the limb on the tree, his life was radically transformed. In the natural realm, sight is an important thing. When you're running down the highway out here at 70 mile an hour, Maybe 65 on two lane or 55. Anyway, y'all obey the law. Anyway, so you're running down the road and you see a car coming at you in their lane, right? So if everything goes well, you'll do this. But when you're driving down the road, when you see something coming, you've apprehended the reality of it. You say to self, self, death car. And it's coming in your direction very fast. If you don't stay in your lane and you get in that lane, it's going to hurt bad. So because of what you saw, apprehended the reality of, discerned the nature of, you say to yourself, stay in your lane. It impacts your behavior. Vision is also given for direction to give us a guide, to put parameters, to put, if you will, bumpers on each side of us to help us move in the way God wants us to move. So spiritually, when we talk about getting vision, we read the Word and press in, right? We press into intimacy with Him who is the Word, right? And we invite the Holy Spirit to enable us and to draw us, to woo us, into intimacy, not just so we can have a good time, to grow, obviously, to not just be immature children on the way to the house, but to grow, but to be impacted by the vision that God wants to give us. For example, with Moses hanging out on the backside of a mountain for 40 years, watching a bunch of sheep after having 40 years in Egypt. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm hanging on the backside of a mountain when I'm about 80 years old for 40 years watching a bunch of sheep, I'm anxious to see anything (laughs) other than a sheep. So that when he starts walking by and he sees a bush that's burning and won't be consumed, and then there's a voice coming out of the bush, you know He's going to turn aside. That sounds spiritual when you say, I'll turn aside and see what this thing is. Truth of the matter was, it scared the pajamas out of him, and he wanted to go find out what that thing was that wouldn't burn up. But on the way to what he saw, he heard the word of God that said, pull off your shoes, you're on holy ground. Why? Because God wanted to give him a vision. And listen, the vision was amazing. He says, Mose, you my man. 
I want you to go down there to Egypt on to Pharaoh, let my people go. But I'm not going to send you down there empty-handed. He gave Moses a vision to impart. If Moses had gone on down there with Pharaoh already getting a little ticked off because he was there, the people getting mad because in addition to having to do their little mud pit thing, they got to go out and pick up straw now, so they ain't thrilled that Moses is there. But he doesn't wander into their midst without a vision. He simply goes in and says, look, I've come from the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I've come to take you to the promised land. I've come to bring you out, bring you in, and bring you up so that you can dwell in houses that you didn't build, eat from the fruit of vines that you didn't plant, and drink from wells that you didn't dig. I've come to take you to the promised land. Now, what he did to move them from where they were was to give them a vision of something that was better than what they had. Y'all stay with me just a minute on this. The world out here, as the people of God, if we can't give them a vision of something better than what they have, then we're going to spend more time with one another and less time with the people that need to be brought into the house. But you can't give something that you ain't got anymore and come back from where you ain't been. If you don't have a vision, you don't know how to impart a vision. So the task for us individually and corporately as the people of God is to get a vision. It's to get a vision. And listen, doesn't matter what your background is. Doesn't matter how beat up you've been. It doesn't matter how people may think about you and your abilities or inabilities. Or maybe they're really fascinated with you and the world tells you you're wonderful and you can do anything you want to. It really doesn't matter. The issue is God has called us as his children to be people of great dreams and great visions. If you've been born from above, that's you. Whatever your background is, circumstance, that's you. We're not a people who are born to make excuses. We are people born to be children of the Most High God, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to walk victoriously and aggressively into this world so that wherever your feet drop, the kingdom of God gets manifested. And that happens when we understand that as the people of God, sons and daughters, We've been called to be people of great dreams and great visions. I can remember growing up on the beach, and uh, may sound like a not completely true story, but the full true story I just don't want to tell you. But I remember growing up on the beach, and I was the first kid at Carolina Beach to be put on a curfew at nine years old. And my mama would work in a hosiery mill in the daytime, work in a bar at night. So I didn't see mama much between 7 in the morning and midnight. And, you know, as a kid on the beach, I was on my own, and I loved it. So I loved doing whatever it was I wanted to do because I had nobody tell me not to do it. My problem was that mama was friends with the police force. And they literally would pick me up when I was messed up or messing up, take me down to what was our little city jail, either set me in the chief's office or put me in a cell until Mama got off work when she could come get me. Now, you know, I could have been damaged, you understand? <laughs> I mean, 
that could have hurt me. Particularly today, I could be suing somebody really big today for that kind of damage. Maybe that's part of what's wrong with me. I really don't remember best what it was not. But there were a lot of people on the beach who if they had the foresight somehow or the other to think that I would be doing what I'm doing now, there would be immense laughter coming off of the island because they would have believed that there would be no way for me to do what I'm doing right now. Let me tell you why I'm doing what I'm doing. Let me tell you why I'm doing what I do right now. I was pastoring this Methodist church, and uh, I don't know what you guys know about church politics, because most of you figure there are no politics in church. And so um, in the Methodist church, you know, the deal is you do good where you are, you take in the right number of people, and you raise your salary, and you move to a bigger church. If you don't really mess up, like get baptized in the Holy Ghost or something else, that'll mess you up. So, but I was sort of riding this wave of being an achiever. So I was appointed to this church when I was 36 that had about 1,300 members in it. And my district superintendent had a, a, was fond of saying to me, you're going from glory to glory. You're going from glory to glory. I wasn't sure what that meant, but it, it really sounded good, and I really liked having a bigger church. But in the fall of one year, the Lord began to speak to me about going into evangelism. Well, I preached one revival in my life, and it was terrible. I'm not a really good preacher and not a great teacher. I couldn't understand why in the world the Lord won't make go into evangelism. I struggled with it to finally I, I dealt with the Lord, and the call really came in a peculiar way. I had gone to this particular full gospel meeting, and I was sick and tired of dealing with this thing about call. And so I said to the Lord, I just want you to understand I'm sick and tired of this. And I'm going to go to this meeting tonight, and if you want me to go into evangelism, you're going to have to have whoever the speaker is speak to me, and I don't want any mess. I don't want some dude standing up there with some false kind of word for me saying, somebody here is looking for understanding. Good Lord, everybody's looking for understanding. So I don't want to hear that kind of stuff. So I'm sitting out there, and this guy is doing his thing, and I'm sitting back. I could not understand anything this dude said. And so finally, I just sort of sat back, put my hand on my chin, told BJ, I said, we're good, baby. You don't have to pack anything. We're staying here in Roxboro. Well, then this old guy, he was walking back and forth in ministry, stopped like somebody shot him with a rifle, and looked back there where I was sitting. And he said, um, you back there with your chin in your hand. You're a pastor, right? I said, of sorts. He said, the Lord told me to speak to you. I said, really? He said, yeah, the Lord would have me to tell you that you heard him right and that you are to do what he said. And then he laid out all the things that were going to happen to me that weren't good. And so I said, thank you very much. So I received that word, asked from God, and the truth is all of his words that night really did come to, to, to pass, all the good ones and the bad ones. So then I had to go tell my superintendent that I wanted the appointment as an approved evangelist in the Methodist Church. 
So my wife and I drive into Durham, North Carolina. We go into the office. I sit down and tell this guy what I want. And he looks at me and he says, you're going from glory to glory. Why do you want to mess it up? And I said, well, really because I believe God said that this is what I'm supposed to do. He said, well, I'll tell you what, you go home and think it over. I said, I don't need to think it over. I've already heard what he said. This is what I want. But I'm nervous. We got three kids. In the Methodist church, when you get to be an evangelist, they take your parsonage, they take your pension, they take your insurance, and they put you out on the street and say, please, don't make it. Essentially, it's what happens there. So it's not an easy decision. You know what I'm saying? So when I left this man's house, sat down in our little, we had one of them old blue Volkswagen Goffs. I know you all had one. We get in the car. I sit down behind the steering wheel. I'm not sure what to do. Pull out of the driveway. And as we're going down this one-way street coming out of Durham, North Carolina, I looked up. <clears throat> All right, I'm <clears throat> getting it. And um, I saw Jesus standing there, up there, his arms out like so. And it was like, come on, we got this. We can handle this, Johnny. And because of that vision, I have never looked back. Whenever anything has really been real difficult, and there have been difficult times, I've never looked back, never questioned it whatsoever. But that vision is the thing that God gave me really to drive home the reality of what he has spoken to my spirit. So while we need vision because it, it increases our growth spiritually, it also directs our path. If we pursue him in the vision and are obedient to what he gives us, we find our lives directed by it. And as we walk out the vision, then that walking out of it impacts the lives of all the people along the way that God has already ordained that our walk should impact. Does that make any sense to you? When this happened to me back in 1978, God knew that I was going to be here at the dwelling place tonight. I didn't know that, but he knew that. All I had now was a vision that involved going wherever he said go, saying whatever he said say, and loving on people and lifting up Jesus. That's all I had. But that was enough. Because as I started to walk, then the Holy Spirit started to lead and empower and change, open doors, and here we are almost 40 years later, and we're still doing what God said do. That's the result of a vision and a willingness to embrace the vision and walk it out. So here's the deal. If you don't have a vision, get one. Get one. And the way you get it is to get serious about intimacy with God. And to press into him and say, here I am. Lord, speak. Your servant not only is here to listen, your servant is here to obey. Speak to me. What do you have for me? And our problem sometimes is that we look at our natural circumstances 
and we somehow want to negate what God gives us in terms of vision. I want you to understand your vision and the fulfillment of it has nothing to do with your ability or inability. It has to do with God's mindset and God's power if you're willing to obey. I've seen some people used in ways that I would never have in the natural thought they could be used. Kenny Davis is a good example of that. Kenny Davis is the most childlike Christian I've ever met in my life. And some of what he does would get most people run slam out of the country. But because of the anointing and because of his vision for God really reaching out and touching everything, everywhere he goes, and he believes that, and his willingness to be obedient in that, God has touched, I don't know how many people over the years. And Kenny's just a little mountain boy coming from North Wilkesboro, North Carolina. Sounds like he never got out of North Wilkesboro if you ever talked to him. But it has to do with his openness to see what God sees and do what God said. Because truthfully, guys, vision is seeing what God sees. That may sound too simple for you tonight, and you might not get thrilled about it. But if you value your Father's heart and you value being a child of the Most High God and you value being in right relationship, then you value the love of God in your own heart, then you're in a position for God to give you vision for most anything. Because God's about family and about people, and the whole deal is about getting folks back to the house. All right? Vision. So ask God to give you a vision if you don't have one. And if you're sitting here tonight and you're as old as I am, and I'll be 77 in December, and Rick's not far behind, just thought I'd tell you that. If you're here tonight and you had a vision a while back and maybe you've walked it out, maybe it's fulfilled in your life, let me help you. Get a new one. You're entitled to more than one a lifetime. You know, I could take you, and I'm not beating on the Methodist because I was saved in the Methodist Church, baptized in the Holy Spirit in the Methodist Church. I spend half of my time in Methodist churches. I love the Methodist church. I wish it would get right in what it's doing right now, but I love it. I could take you to eastern North Carolina to 300 of the 625 Methodist churches, and I could show you dead churches because they lost their vision. And where the vision dies, Scripture says, the people die. You understand? Yeah. Look, look, this is a vibrant, alive body here. You lose your vision, it won't be that way long. God? Vision. It's important. And we have to press in. And don't let anybody tell you you can't get one. You all right? Yeah. I knew you'd be excited about it. <laughs> vision. Vision. See what God sees. Press in. Hear God. Do what he says. And if your value system is right, then God's going to give you vision that is consistent with it that will allow you to serve in such a way as to have that need in you, to have that value validated as God does through you amazing things in the lives of people. See, here's my problem. I expect everybody I talk to to get saved. 
Seriously. I mean, I'm amazed when they don't. I will go over and witness to a signpost and believe the post to get saved. I know that sounds ridiculous, but I do. I'd expect folk to get saved. Why? <laughs> because Daddy has sent his son to die for everybody. Everybody. And if my father's got a vision for a family and I'm my father's son, I got the same vision, baby. I want everybody to make it to the house. So I want to be available with whatever giftings he gives me to speak that word of life to anybody I meet wherever I happen to be. All right? So for a man that can't teach and can't preach, my daddy has let me do it for over 40 years. I love it. I mean, I would stand here, scratch my belly, smile at you for an hour and a half and expect God to do something powerful because we're here to meet with him. Okay, here we go. Get a vision. Second thing you have to do when you get a vision is to learn how to maintain it because once you get a clear vision from God, all the enemies in hell will come out to take it away from you. Because the last thing the enemy of your soul wants is for you to see the fulfillment of the vision that God gave you. If you watch that thing work out there with Mose and the folks in the pit and all this kind of stuff, and he gets them out and they head over to where they run into more water than they can cross, and then they start thinking about dying instead of thinking about the vision that he had given them, and they begin to murmur and complain, and Moses got whatever, two, three million mad Hebrews down there next to the water. And all of them are losing their vision. And what they're saying to one another is, he brought us out here to die. We could have stayed back there and had at least three meals a day. Even as bad as it was, it would be better than dying out here. They were losing their vision. But you know who kept that vision? Moses. The man God had given the vision to. You know what he did? He learned how to hear the voice of God in his heart more loudly than he heard the voice of his neighbor in his ear. I can try. <laughs> he learned how to hear the voice of God in his heart more loudly than he heard the voice of his neighbor in his ear. Part of being able to maintain your vision is being able to hear the voice of God. Because I'm telling you, the enemy will come and tell you why you can't do what he's given you. He'll throw all kinds of roadblocks in your way. And if you listen to the voice of your neighbor, then oftentimes you will give up the vision. But if you learn to hear God in your heart, then you'll learn how to ignore the voice of your neighbor in your ear. Now, I'm not talking about the fact that we don't have people who journey with us who bring us encouragement, who enable us, strengthen us, encourage us in the journey. We need those folks around us. But what you don't need is somebody telling you every step of the way why your vision can't come to pass. If you know it's from God and he's given it to you, then don't give it up. Don't give it up. Listen, I, I still have this vision for the Methodist Church, for those of you who are interested in the Methodist Church. Methodist Church was the fastest-moving 
Christian movement that has ever hit this country. When it hit this country, it swept across the country, and whole communities were transformed by the power of God out of a group of people who were baptized in the Holy Spirit, as John Wesley and Charles Wesley and others preached in England. And when they got here full of fire, they went across this country. I still have that vision. I have a vision for that day when people walking by Methodist churches will be so gripped by the power of God that they'll be drawn into the house and converted and filled with the Spirit of God. I, I see that place where folks can walk through the door with broken marriages and get the marriages healed by the power of God before they can find a seat. I believe that. I'm believing for that. And I don't care how many folks tell me that the Methodist Church is going to hell in a handbasket. I know the vision I have. I'm believing God's going to work that work. You all right? So what I'm saying to you is, get a vision, but you've got to maintain it. And the only way to maintain it is to hear your daddy in your heart. Even the people closest to you who love you the most, if it's not their vision, may not be able to walk with you in it. doesn't mean they don't love you. It just means maybe they don't have that vision. You all right? And I've had people who didn't have my vision simply say, I love you, Johnny, and I know you're a little bit crazy, so I'm just going to walk with you to find out if what you're saying is true. I'm saying come along for the ride. You've got to maintain it. All right? That means you've got to learn to shut out other voices. We live in a society today where the voices are many and they are often. Do you know what it does to you just in your mind and spirit if you're on your cell phone for 45 minutes before you go to bed at night? Do you know how many of those voices still ringing in your spirit while you're trying to sleep? Voices. Do you know what happens when you put praise music on when you lay down and go to sleep? And that spirit of praise is echoing in your spirit? You know what you're doing? You're edifying yourself on the inside, and the Holy Ghost is saying, yeah, 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 yeah. And you're learning to hear the voice of your Father. And He's strengthening you even as you sleep. Why? For you to be able to walk out the vision He's given you, to maintain it. You all right? Come on. Good. Vision. And don't sit there and think, listen, I've been through life. I'm too messed up. I'm too old. I'm too young. My marriage failed. I got a second one. A third one might get another one in before it's over. Don't, don't do that stuff. Because the enemy is simply trying to say to you, you just aren't qualifying for a vision. And if you have the spirit of the living God on the inside of you, you are qualified. All right? And desperate for it, by the way. All right, I'm, I'm about done for those of you who are wondering. So here's what they did. When they got out into the wilderness after they finally crossed over, and they're in the wilderness again. As soon as they run up on a hard time, they lose the vision, right? The water's not good, bitter. She shows Moses a bush. He dumps the bush in, the water gets sweet, right? They, they ain't got food. It gets manna, right? 
You get quelled, right? And they end up finally at the edge of the promised land, right? Good shape, sick, no, no sick, shoes, new shoes, they're there, right? Ready to go in for the fulfillment of the vision. And that's when they decided to consult man instead of maintaining the voice of God. And they selected the committee to go in to decide what's in there. Never mind the promise of God was, I'll go before you and take care of your enemy. All you got to do is walk and possess it. If you want to see the fulfillment of the vision, just walk and you'll possess it. But they said, no, we're going to talk about this amongst ourselves. The committee comes back, split like a good committee, and they simply said, hey, there are big folk in there. Make us feel like grasshoppers, dude. We go in there, we're going to die. Why? Because they just weren't listening to the right voice. And so they come back, they report that, and then that generation went back into the wilderness and died with exception of Joshua and Caleb. Lost the vision and died in the wilderness. What I'm trying to say to you guys is whether you are 10 or 60 or married or single or coming out of a marriage or going into a new one, whether you've been involved in alcohol and drugs, whether or not you feel good about yourself or bad about yourself, if you know Jesus and you've been born from above and you're part of your father's dream and you are and you're part of his family, you're called to be a person of great dreams and great visions. And don't believe the lie of the enemy that says you're disqualified, that you can't get it, that it depends on your talent, or any of that stuff. You seek God with your whole heart, you will find him. And I promise you, as you do, and you're open, he will speak life to you. And gives you visions and dreams. And enable you through the power of the Holy Spirit to walk it out. If you're willing to obey. Part of the problem with our nation, as I mentioned to you last night, is our nation has lost its sense of core values. But our nation has also lost its vision. For what it's created to be. To, to be this place where folks can be free to worship and where they can be converted and brought into the family and where they can grow and where we can impact the nation and where we can impact the world. This country has lost its vision of how God has brought us into this place to be a kingdom expression of what life can be like in relationship with Him. It's lost its vision. Now, I just want to say this to you, and I'll, I'll sit down and hush. The world out here, they aren't going to bring the vision to the house. The vision that is going to enliven and set free this nation again and moving in the right direction has got to come from the house. It's got to come from people like you and you and you and you and me. People who are willing to believe God, who are willing to listen and to receive it who'll get the vision and maintain it and walk it out, participate in it. I don't know how you guys ended up in this building. My guess is, though, 
It didn't just bop down out of the sky. It's free. Somebody paid for some chairs. Somebody painted a wall. You know what I mean? Hello, hello. I got friends sitting around saying, oh, God, oh, God, give me a fresh vision. And God said, excuse me, you didn't get up off your tush to do anything with the last one. What do you need with a new one? God really wants us to be willing to participate in these visions. You got brothers and sisters dying in Egypt and other places because they've got a vision. And their vision will not allow them to deny Jesus. Even when their own children are being killed in their presence, they're unwilling to deny Christ. Why? Not because they're so hard-headed, but because their faith is so firm and they have a vision of what God's promised and they want for their children a kingdom that is not of this realm. So they're not about to deny Jesus in any fashion and rob their children of the reality of Christ Jesus in their lives. There's a price to be paid for walking out the visions that God gives us. Everybody's not going to agree with you. Everybody's not going to like you. Your vision may take you some very hard places. But if you'll maintain it and walk it out, I promise you, you'll be blessed. You'll be blessed. And folks' lives will be changed. And even if walking out your vision costs you your life, you only end up gaining your life. Y'all all right? I know this is just a little, you know what I mean? I just want to kick and giggle a little bit tonight. And I know this is a little bit, you know, you understand what I'm saying. But if you're going to press in for the right values, you better be willing to press in for the vision that God wants to flesh out those values with as you journey back to the house. Okay? All right. And you guys are beautiful. Listen, we got beautiful young ladies over here, beautiful older men. <laughs> you know what I mean? You got all this fine-looking crew over here. Listen, can you imagine what God would do in this community if everybody in a house got a vision from God about he would, how he would like to use you to release kingdom life in this place? You got any idea? And if we all walked in obedience to that vision, the, the lives that would be changed, the whole community be changed, really, seriously. And that the spirit of the living God sweep across Radford, sweep across Virginia Tech, touching everything in this area. Can't you get that? I was telling Rick today, we were kind of looking at something that really is a big vision. And uh, I said to Rick, my problem is I can get a vision in a heartbeat. I mean, seriously, I, I can walk down the street and have two or three visions before I get to the next block. My problem is figuring out which ones are for him and which ones he really wants me to embrace in this moment. Or whether it's a vision that's to come down the road. So when you get one, you need to press in and really hear what your daddy's saying to you. Okay? Y'all good to me. Well, I'm going to tell you one last vision and then I'm going to quit. Y'all all right? You're good. Y'all so sweet. Uh, I was um, pastoring this church in uh, Jacksonville, the one I just wanted to see in the rearview mirror uh, <laughs> on my way out of town. But I was pastoring this church on a Sunday morning. I'm sitting over in the preacher chair. Have you been to churches where there's a preacher chair? Huh? You got one on this side, one on that side. And 
And uh, if you're the preacher, your chair's a little bigger. And the other person's over here, you know, and they're a little, what they do, whatever they do over there. And uh, so I'm sitting there, and I'm in the preacher chair, and it's about time for me to preach. And my associate pastor, he's gotten up, and he's given some announcements and all this kind of stuff. And, and he sits down, so it's my time to preach. So I get up from my chair, and on the way to the pulpit, I heard the Lord say in my spirit, John, meaning my son John, is going to preach the word. I thought, that's so cool. So I preach, I give an invitation for salvation. And the only person who came that morning was my son John. So when he came down to the altar, and I knelt with him, and I said, John, what, what you need, bud? He said, Daddy, I just want to accept Jesus into my heart, and I want to live for God, Daddy. I said, okay, dude, let's do this thing. So we pray together, and John embraces the Lord. And it seemed like from the time he was nine to the time he was 20, the enemy did everything he could do to kill John. For seven years, from the time he's 13 to the time he's 20, he goes on this sabbatical from his brain. <laughs> and if you've ever had a kid do that, you know it's going to be a rough few years. So in that seven years, it's drugs, it's alcohol, it's women, to finally, he's living in the same town I'm in, but he's staying with this young lady a block from my house just to make sure that the whole community knew that whatever his daddy was, he wasn't. So we went through some tense times. I don't know how to explain how tense to you, except that... Um, when he was in North Carolina Westland, which he flunked out of after a year, in fact, the president, who was a good friend of mine, told me that if they were to let John back in the school, he'd burn it down. The president would burn it down <laughs> before he'd let John back in the school. So when I get older, I really lost it with him. I get to the dorm where he's supposed to be staying. I go up to catch him. And the reason is because he slept through all of his exams, so he's flunking everything. So I, I go up to his room, didn't bother to knock. I open the door, and lo and behold, his girlfriend is living in his dorm room with him, and she doesn't even go to school there. So I go nuts. I snatch him up. I drag him down three flights of steps. I get him outside and throw him up on the hood of his car. So I'm up on top of my son, laying on top of the car, and I am absolutely ready to punch his lights out. And then I got this picture on the front page of the Rocky Mount paper. <laughs> Local evangelist knocks out son on the front end of a Camaro. So I managed to regroup what I could in terms of some sense of dignity. And uh, I go back to uh, Bethel. And finally, uh, John makes his way back to the house. And I'm thinking, I am not sure what I am going to do here. So he leaves home, and we keep praying. And finally, Betty Jo called me one night at 3 o'clock in the morning. I was at some place outside of Raleigh, North Carolina, and said, John's home. He came home, six foot one, 130 pounds, sick as a dog. And he was home. So I came uh, home and got him, 
got home about 3, 30, 4 o'clock in the morning and took him up to where we were building a youth camp and put him to digging ditches and, <laughs> and working in the cabins. And three precious boys there at the camp who had been praying for John just ministered life to him. I let him come home, get his clothes, so they could take him back to camp. On the way back out of town, they took him to this little generic church in Greenville, North Carolina. And the Holy Spirit got a hold of him and drew him down to the altar, and he dedicated his life to the Lord, or dedicated his life to the Lord. And from that day, no drugs, no alcohol, no illicit sex, no wild women, no nothing. His life just turned around. And today, he's a pastor down home. And I can remember the times that when Betty Joe and I would be up at night with a knot in our stomach, not knowing where he was or what he was, that the thing we would say to each other was this. God said. God said he's going to preach the word. God said. And we held that vision despite what we saw and despite what we heard. We held that vision. Even in those moments when I just lost it, we still held that vision. John's going to preach the word. So we got to see it. He and his brother planted a church in Wilmington. For 12 years they served together. God's faithful. He's faithful to fulfill his promises. And he's not up there just handing out visions just because he feels like today I'll give out six or eight. He means for his people to be people of great dreams and visions all the way back to the house. So don't let the enemy at any time make you think that you've been disqualified. You are to be a person of great dreams and great visions. I'll tell you. I'm done. Uh, I really would like to pray with you uh, about this because I think some of you may be somewhere along this little linear kind of progression that I was involved in. Some of you may have had a vision from God and you feel like it's lost. Some of you may be sitting here tonight thinking I've never had one. You need to get one. And you may be sitting here saying, look, I'm too old. I've had my dreams. You know, let the other boys know. God said, that the young folk are going to see visions and the old folks are going to have dreams. Nobody's exempt from this. Everybody's included. So you might be here tonight and you just had one for a long time, never seen it, and you kind of want to give up. Don't give up. So what I'd like to do is just invite you. If you're at a place where you just want prayer for this, whether it is to get a vision to maintain one God's given you or to rekindle your faith in one that you've had but you've sort of lost, you've sort of lost your faith in it, then I'd like to be able to pray with you. I know that these guys have prayer ministers that can come and be with you uh, and pray with you. So they're going to lead us in some worship, and uh, then I just want to invite you. Now, if you're here tonight and you kind of snuck in here, and you've never invited Jesus to be your personal Lord and Savior, if you've never done that, this is your night, baby. This is your night. I remember when I came to the Lord, I was sitting in the back of a Methodist church. 
I was the associate pastor because I preached 12 years before I got saved, <laughs> which is uh, it's kind of a neat trick if you can do it. And uh, I told him about you. <laughs> It was not pretty. <laughs> but finally, I did have some encouragement from the elderly groups in my life <laughs> about this thing. And um, so I was sitting at the back of that church, and I was with this guy who was a West Virginia hillbilly. And when he gave an altar call, if somebody didn't come, you were going to be there all day or all night. So I'm sitting in the back, and nobody's going. I'm tired, but I got this thing on the inside going like this. So I decided I'd go. And so I'm going down trying to figure out what I'm going to say when I get there. And when I finally got down front, I hit my knees and I said, Jesus, I need a Savior. You it. I got no other place to go. Thank you for dying for me. I embrace you and invite you into my heart right now to be my Lord and Savior. That ain't that hard to say, is it? I don't think that's too complicated. But I'm telling you, in that moment, I met my Father. met my Father's love. It changed my life. Radically. So if you snuck in here and hadn't done that, please, come on, get on down here and get that done tonight. You all right? And then tell your daddy to give you the biggest vision he's got. All righty? Can we stand? These guys are going to lead us, right? Or am I wrong? All right. I've been wrong. We're right. 